Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Like Stars Podcast with me, your host, Pete Goodman. So grateful you chose to uh, continue listening, joining in. Uh, and I know I kind of say that a lot, but I really am grateful. Thank you. I, uh, so many of you that have continued to support and listen and watch these videos on YouTube or whatever. Uh, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that you've continued to stick with me and, uh, man, continue to send in questions and your feedback. It's been super helpful. Today, uh, doing a slightly different thing than maybe what I've done in the past, this episode of the podcast is actually going to be almost like a part two to a sermon that I gave at our church this last week, and that part one is actually available. I put it on the Like Stars podcast, uh, both the YouTube and the normal audio page as a bonus episode, but it's looking at the question of the Bible and whether or not it's trustworthy, and as I was approaching it, I decided to look at it from two angles. One angle was, is the historical transmission of the Bible over time reliable? Is the Bible that we have today trustworthy or is it changed? Do we have the right books? Things like that. I covered that in a message I gave at the church. And so I added it as sort of part one and you can listen to that. You don't have to listen to that though to make sense of this podcast. So you don't have to like turn this off or anything, but they kind of both go into it because the other side of it was, even if what we have is what was originally written, how do we trust the message of the original authors of the Bible? How do we know that what they had to say was actually true? And I decided to spend some time on this podcast here, really diving into that question, focused around one specific issue. What was their main message? That Jesus was the Messiah and that he was resurrected from the dead. And if that claim is true, then the rest follows. So we're going to dive into that a bit on this episode. Now, before we do, a couple quick things. Just want to encourage you, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, whether it's on audio, Apple, Spotify, this is, please do. Uh, and the YouTube page, you can subscribe to that as well. So you get notifications when it comes on. This might be a good episode to consider sharing with somebody, people that have questions about faith, whether they can trust the resurrection. So maybe this is a good episode that you could share with a friend, pass along. I uh, also want to let you know, as I've mentioned before, I'm in the process of working through an entirely kind of separate uh, group of con video content where I'm doing an overview of the New Testament, individual episodes that will each, each book of the New Testament, giving background, clarity of who wrote it, when, main ideas, short walkthroughs, kind of both to help you read the Bible as you're going through it, but also potentially just something to listen to to gain more information. That will be available uh, on my YouTube channel, the Like Stars YouTube channel, as well as probably a separate but related podcast. And uh, all of it is on the likestars.us website as well. And so uh, look forward to that. I'm planning on releasing the first few episodes here in the next week or two. So you can check that out then. And then releasing the entire New Testament over the next month or so. Uh, one more thing. This episode of the Like Stars podcast uh, has a special sponsor today. The sponsor for this episode is Chris Stukenberg. Chris Stukenberg is the sponsor. Now, some of you are, are sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, here it comes. This is the part where Pete tells some dumb joke or sarcastic rant or fake reviews he wrote about himself. All right, Pete, what's funny about Chris Stukenberg? Nothing. No, there's nothing funny about Chris Stukenberg. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he has a little bit of a, you know, he's got some humor. Uh, but no, it's not a joke at all. Chris Stukenberg is the sponsor of this episode of the podcast because Chris Venmoed me one US dollar in order to become the sponsor. And my soul is so open for sale and cheap that he was able to get his name on this podcast for less than you would pay for a cup of coffee. Yes, that's what Like Stars is worth, but he did it. 
He paid me in cash. And so he is officially the first ever actual sponsor of this podcast. And I am $1 richer. Thank you so much, Chris Stukenberg. And those of you out there who says, hey, we want to be a sponsor of the Like Stars podcast. No, I'm not opening this up. That was dumb. Uh, but you can give me money. I'll take it. With that, let's dive into trustworthy people. <laughs> There's a, how's that for a, a, a transition? Okay. I started uh, at my church on Sunday Rise City, which I know a lot of you listen to attend, talking about the question of whether you can trust the Bible. And I, I said it in that talk, which again, you can listen to, I put it on the podcast here, that that really breaks into two sides. There's the, do I trust the Bible as we currently have it? Uh, has it been translated and copied well? Uh, and, you know, do we have the right books or who decided, what, that kind of thing. But then there's also the question of even if we have really good copies of what was originally written, can we actually even trust the message at all? How do we know that these apostles and other people who wrote this stuff down were themselves trustworthy people? Now, we obviously can't go back and talk to them ourselves, but there is one thing we can specifically look at and examine, which stands at the heart of the entire message, a sort of linchpin that holds it all together where if it's true, the rest follows. If it's not, it doesn't. And it's this, did Jesus actually raise from the dead? Now you might say, well, hold on, wait, how is Jesus raised from the dead connecting to the trustworthiness of the Bible? Well, really, if you think about it, they are directly intertwined because Jesus comes to earth supposedly as God in flesh. That's what he claimed and what his followers claimed taught us a whole bunch of stuff about what it means to be human, how to live our lives, what it means to obey God, called us to follow Jesus, do everything that he said, base our entire lives around him. That was the message of Jesus seen in the gospels and the message that all of his followers continued and wrote out in all the letters that fill in the rest of the New Testament. And he says all this stuff and then he's killed. And it's like, okay, well, he's dead. Does that mean none of it's true? And yet here we are still following it because the belief was he actually was resurrected from the dead. Well, look, if Jesus made all of those outrageous claims and then died, everything about Christianity is nonsense. Forget about having a conversation about the trustworthiness of the Bible. The Bible is an immoral document that should be burned if that is true. Christianity is an outright lie and should be kept away from children if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead. Because the entire New Testament is based around, flows out of this one central claim that Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by defeating death. So if he actually predicted that he would die and then be resurrected, and he was, well, that changes everything. Everything that he said, every little nuance of his life, of his teaching, should be taken as true. The subsequent writings of his followers who walked with him and claim as the, as the basis for everything, because Jesus rose from the dead, here's then what it means for our lives. That's what makes up the New Testament. Uh, so when we talk about can we trust it, well, that's where it starts. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they're all liars or crazy or confused, and we shouldn't listen to any of them. The Gospels are lies. They, they don't trust them at all. However, if he did, if he actually came out of that grave, then every word spoken has massive impact for your life. It's the most important message in human history. So asking whether the original authors of the New Testament are trustworthy really comes down to whether or not they were right in telling the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, as they claimed. If he did, yeah, they're trustworthy. If he didn't, no, they're not. 
so let's think about it. What, can we trust them? And that is going to be really the focus of this episode. So let's dive in together and ask the question of whether or not their message that Jesus rose from the dead and everything else can be trusted. I think the best place to start with this conversation is just thinking about what would have been just this difficult, fateful moment when all of Jesus's followers who had been around him for three plus years, learning from him, you know, studying him, doing everything he said, are all now watching him die, literally watching him die. And eventually he breathes his last. They take him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. And when this massive stone is rolled in front of the tomb, it was sealing up not just his body, but all of their hopes and dreams. Everything they were expecting and thinking was going to be great, that their king had come and their life was going to get better, all these kind of things. It's now done. It's over. He was executed. He was called a failed revolutionary. And now most of them scatter. They're in hiding. They're fearing that they're going to be next. Uh, their vision for God's salvation, all that Jesus promised them, up in smoke, right? For them, in that moment, it was all a lie, a dream too good to be true, becoming a nightmare, really. Just imagine realizing in that moment that everything was for naught. It was all worthless. This, You would have had these men and women carrying a crushing sense of disillusionment, disappointment, uh, watching Jesus die and come off the cross, his bo crumbled body was their dreams crumbling before them, right? This was the end. They were wrong. They chose a loser. They hitched their wagons to a broken down thing that didn't get them anywhere. When Jesus died, they would have thought everything was over. And yet, everything was not over. Because shortly after, those same people who watched Jesus die we're going around telling everybody that Christianity was real, that they should follow Jesus, that they should completely give their lives, that he was the king. How do they know? Because he was resurrected from the dead. And that you should trust his message. Think about kind of how absurd that was. Think about the apostle John who wrote an entire book about the life of Jesus and calls all people reading it to believe that he is the Messiah. John stood at the foot of the cross and watched his master exhale his final breath with his own eyes. He saw a spear puncture his lung and his broken, lifeless body thrown in a tomb. That John turned around and wrote books and letters of the New Testament telling you and I that it's all real, that we should believe it, and that we should follow Jesus. Just like him. Wait, what? <laughs> John, why? Like your dreams were crushed, man. You, you watched him die. How could he possibly be the Messiah, uh, you saw him die. How can you How can you believe, much less tell me to? And this was true of all of them, right? How could Peter later write a letter? How could James, the brother, all these people, and even Paul, who, who believed that it was all fake, ends up writing all these letters to us? So what do you, how do you explain this? That on the third day, they claim the tomb was empty, and, and Mary and other women that meet Jesus. Mary and John runs to uh, G, the disciples to explain I, Jesus is alive. They don't believe it. That's important. When you read the story, they didn't believe it. The idea that people in the ancient world were all just like superstitious and they would have found it easier to believe in a resurrection because that was pre-science. No, whether you live in 2023 or 23, people who died stayed dead, right? You didn't come back from the, nobody believed people came back from the dead until that moment when they were apparently hiding behind locked doors for fear that people were coming after them because they were part of this failed revolution. Jesus appears to them in person. What must it have been like? The shock, the wonder, all these kind of things. 
maybe it was it, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> we 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 weren't we weren't on the losing team. Oh my goodness, no, we're on the winning team. You just defeated death, and we're not wasting our life. His death essentially meant that all of it was true because he was resurrected. Had he not been resurrected, it would have been a tragic, terrible ending. Uh, but who cares, right? It's over. History is littered with good people who have lived and died. We all go on with our lives, whatever. And in fact, the apostle Paul would later say this when writing to the church in Corinth, which is one of the earlier letters before the gospels even. He said, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Your commitment to Jesus is useless if Jesus is still dead. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, if there's no resurrection, he says, we are are of all people most to be pitied. We're idiots. We're dumb. <laughs> if Jesus was just another failed Messiah, what are we doing here? We're wasting our time. You should feel sorry for us. But Paul says, no, 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 no. But Christ has been raised and it changes everything. Even though you, we don't think dead people come back to life, they usually don't. This is something amazing. So of course, people are going to ask and question this and, and, and doubt it. Uh, isn't there a more likely explanation for all this? Because dead people don't come back to it. How do we know it's not just a legend, just made up, a mistake? Or worse, how do we know that they weren't just lying? Maybe somebody made this up because they were feeling bad or wanted to get power. Like, how can we actually trust these people who said something ridiculously, miraculously happened that Jesus came back from the dead? And it's so important because, again, if he didn't, if that didn't happen, the gospels aren't true and shouldn't be trusted. And all the followers of Jesus, like John and Paul and Peter and James, were all lying. They're all lying. And so none of it should be trusted. But if he did, then all of it matters. So I want to examine some of the aspects of the resurrection. And I know this started with, can we trust the Bible? But because the resurrection is the core thing that the New Testament claims. Now, also, a quick side note. Some people say, well, how do you trust the Old Testament? Well, it's honestly connected. Because Jesus and, and the, his followers often quoted from the Old Testament and talked about it, and Jesus affirmed it. So if Jesus rose from the dead because he was truly God, then anything Jesus affirmed, I affirm. So really, my entire Bible, the authority of it, the truth of it, the trustworthiness, all of it rests on whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. And who he said he was rests on whether or not he actually stayed dead. Because if he died and stayed dead, he wasn't who he said he was. But if he was resurrected, then, man, this is something completely different. So I want to look at a few common critiques or pushbacks or what about this kind of things and ask, do we have good reason to believe that Jesus was resurrected and thus the Bible is trustworthy? All right, here we go. Let's do number one. Sometimes people will essentially say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. And you say, like, okay, what's this about? Well, before we jump into dead people come back to life— couldn't it be more likely that actually he just wasn't dead yet? Maybe he merely fainted from exhaustion or passed out. After all, it says that Pilate was surprised at how quickly Jesus died. Well, maybe there's a thing. Maybe Jesus wasn't really dead because usually you could be crucified for a few days. It looks like it happened very quick. So there's an argument that, you know, it was all kind of a deception that Jesus looked like he was dead, but he really was just kind of fainted and now he's back. And so there you go. Well, let's, let's kind of break down this idea. Is it possible that Jesus didn't really die? For starters, just because Pilate said he was surprised Jesus was already dead, he wasn't like, what? Completely shocked. It was certainly possible uh, because we're told that Jesus was severely beaten even before reaching Golgotha. Um, uh, 
many people often died just from a Roman beating. Uh, getting whiplashed with cat and nine tails 39 times is terrible, terrible punishment to the human body. Even before being crucified and having seven inch spikes driven through his hands and feet, he was already near the point of death. And then the way he was hung required him to push himself up on his feet, which were actually nailed to wood in order to breathe. So it would not have taken long to have lost all the strength needed to even inhale. So his death would have been fairly quick given the beating that happened before the crucifixion. The Romans crucified people all the time, but they didn't always put them through that excessive of a beating before it happened. So it's far more explainable and understandable that Jesus was just near death before they even hung him up. What's more, uh, people undergoing this kind of torment and medical professionals, I'm not one of them, but I've studied this a bit, go into what's called hypovolemic shock, which causes a collection of water-like fluid in the membrane around the heart. And you actually see, and this isn't like modern science, they knew this even 2,000 years ago, because in the Gospel of John, he tells us one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and it talked about a sudden flow of blood and water, which is kind of a random comment to make. Well, why just throw that in there? It was on purpose. John wanted his readers to know, because then right after it, he actually says, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true, meaning people saw water come out of his side. Why does that matter? John was already ahead of you. John was already saying, I don't know, you might be thinking he wasn't dead. Water came from out of his side, proving that his heart had probably already lost and exploded. So to make sure Jesus was dead, they ran a spear in his lungs and the outflow of both blood and water uh, would prove to the soldier who was not a medical professional, but was in charge of making sure these guys were dead, that Jesus was dead. And there was a witness testifying it. Look, and this is this is probably the biggest thing. We're just we're not we're not trying to get to perfect reasons here, but we're just reasonable doubts. The Romans knew how to kill people. They crucified two thousand people in one day. At one point, uh, they would know if someone was or wasn't dead. And they would be executed themselves for allowing a prisoner to escape. So if you were a Roman centurion in charge of crucifying a prisoner, and it turned out you didn't fully kill him, you would get executed. They had every reason to make sure Jesus was dead. They would not have brought his body off that cross uh, if he wasn't fully dead. But look, just for the sake of argument, uh, what if he had woken up from that insanely crazy beating and heart failure and a massive punctured wound in his side? Uh, how would he have gotten himself out of grave clothes in the role of tomb aside? <clears throat> I mean, when Lazarus was resurrected by Jesus earlier, they had to help him unwrap and roll the stone away. How could Jesus have just walked out with holes in his feet? And why would anyone look at that, whatever you would be looking at and think, oh, resurrection, <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus was dead. This, that's Saying he wasn't dead is not a good argument. He was dead. Now, Another argument that might seem to have a little bit more validity would be, okay, so everyone said the tomb was empty, uh, but maybe it wasn't really empty. Maybe there's another option here. Uh, before we jump to resurrection, how can we even be sure that the body was truly gone and the tomb was actually empty, which everybody's claiming? So let me just set the stage here. At this moment, you have the disciples saying Jesus is resurrected. Well, do you know what the easiest, most simple way to respond to no, he's not, is it's to point to a dead body. If, if any of these people who would have wanted to refute the Christian early Christians, which were many, many people wanted to refute it, the simplest, easiest thing to do would have just been said, his dead body's right there. Well, no one could do that, right? There, there was no body apparently. 
So this is kind of the idea. Um, someone says, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb or mistook which body was missing. Uh, burial tombs would often have a lot of different people in them. How do we know there wasn't, you know? Uh, and this one honestly kind of falls apart quickly. First, even going back to the Gospel of John, John describes the specific tomb. Uh, he says the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, uh, and in the garden, a new tomb. We know whose tomb it was, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, it was brand new and never been used. We're actually told that at a very memorable place. So there was no question about which tomb it was. We also read in Matthew that the Jewish leaders who had been responsible for getting Jesus killed, it says they were actually afraid that someone would come and steal the body. So they were almost already ready for possible problems, and they asked Pilate to guard it and seal it. So they obviously knew where the tomb was. The guards knew where the tomb was. Pilate, apparently, everybody knew where the tomb was. They were actually trying to protect it. The two guards that were standing in front of it could have easily been asked, which tomb were you guarding? And we then read that after the resurrection, it says the leaders bribed the guards to say they fell asleep, and the disciples stole the body. Um, which is, you know, quite a feat to roll a huge stone and pull out a dead body while these two highly trained soldiers happen to both fall asleep. Now, I don't want to put a ton on that because you could kind of finagle on that. But if the religious leaders had any access to the body, they would have immediately brought it, right? If these people who didn't want anyone saying that Jesus was resurrected, they literally guarded the tomb to make sure this didn't happen. If they knew where the body was or had any ability to find it, they would have immediately pointed to it. Um, why would they bother saying any of this about lying and getting the guards to say they fell asleep? Why would the guards admit to falling asleep? Why make up some elaborate ruse and waste money and accuse the disciples of stealing the body if they could have just gone and pointed and said, it's right there, here's the body. The authorities clearly needed to explain the empty tomb because it was obviously empty and they didn't have the body themselves. So you have an issue. Jesus died on the cross. He died. His physical body died. They buried him. Then a few days later, his body was gone. The tomb was empty. A tomb that was guarded by soldiers and had a stone was gone. Um, so that's 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 pretty strong historical backing, okay? Uh, he was dead. Now the body's gone. But look, that's, that's, that's child's play right there, right? Like we haven't really gotten to it. Just because the body is gone doesn't mean resurrection. Maybe the disciples stole it themselves. Maybe they are the ones that snuck in and somehow got it out of there and faked it to look like a miracle. You know, the early church wasn't based on a claim that Jesus' body was missing. <laughs> okay, so what? They were claiming that he was alive and there was no body to prove he wasn't. So it was their word that he's alive versus there's no body. So the biggest question is, and this really, I think, is the most important thing, because now we're talking about the people who actually wrote the scriptures. Their testimony, their word is that Jesus was alive, that they met him, they experienced him. Can we trust them? Should we trust them? Should we trust such a crazy outlandish claim from a group of people living so many years ago? So for the last few minutes of this podcast, that's really where I want to hone in. Jesus died. The tomb was empty. His body is gone. But the, these groups of people that were saying he was resurrected, can we trust them? So first, let's start here. It goes without saying there were a lot of people who claimed to have seen Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't want to underestimate or blow by that. Like when I say a lot, I mean, we're not talking about one or two people. We're talking about a ton of people. From the gospel accounts alone, 
We see that he appeared to Mary Magdalene and a group of quote unquote other women, all of the apostles, including Thomas, who himself was a doubter and didn't believe it at first, eventually to other groups of disciples. There's these two men and Luke on the road to Emmaus. Um, then we, it ends up coming to Paul. This wasn't one or two people catching some shadow figure while half asleep. It wasn't just the 12 who had the most to lose. There were a lot of people involved claiming to have seen Jesus. And that itself needs to be reconciled with. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, okay, there were a lot, but they were mostly, they were the disciples of Jesus with a biased agenda, the people who might have wanted him to be alive, right? The 12 would have wanted to fake it. They were upset, disappointed, let down, highly emotional. How do we know they didn't just want it so bad that uh, they convinced themselves, right? Uh, it was just some self-induced hallucination. Well, again, let's talk about hallucinations. If one person has an hallucination, um, okay, that happens. We know the brain can pull tricks on people. But a hallucination is one individual brain whose mind and eyes are playing tricks on them. How could multiple people have the same hallucination? Uh, Thomas clearly didn't seem deluded for two weeks or so where he was like, nope, nope, don't believe it, don't believe it. The only way I'll ever believe it is if I put my hand in the holes in his hands. Like he's like, this is no, and then their moment comes where he physically touches Jesus' hand and he, Thomas completely changes his life and spends the rest of his life worshiping Jesus and telling other people about it. That was no delusion. So uh, it just doesn't work. And also it's still, where's the body? Like the delusion, I mean, it doesn't line up. Okay, so maybe it was even worse though. And this really gets kind of the heart of it, I think. Um, maybe they did actually just steal the body. Maybe the best explanation is that these people were so invested and so wanted it to be true or wanted to get something out of it that they made it all up, found a way to get the body. They huddled together and they came up with a plan that they would all agree to lie about it together to get others to buy it as well. Um, which, uh, okay, reasonable. Well, let's talk about it. Is it reasonable? First, if so, let me, let me give you a couple things. It was pretty dumb of them to tell people that the first witnesses were women. Now, I know that can be harsh for some of us to hear, and, and it is harsh, but I also, it's historically true. Uh, women were not even allowed to give testimony in Roman courts. They weren't considered reliable, valuable, valuable witnesses. So if you wanted to make up a story and get people to believe you, you would find the most reliable man with respected of your group and say, look, he's the guy. Instead, all of the accounts say the first people to see Jesus were women. Uh, why would you do that? It's not a good way to go about starting a lie. They were seeing as, there's a, there's a statement that compared women, when it comes to court, women were compared to un, being as unreliable as gamblers and slave traders. Like, why say women were the first one to see it if you're making it up? So all, right off the bat, it's like, they're not doing a good job here. Secondly, all of their stories, the gospel accounts, make them look really stupid. <laughs> like, it, you would expect if these guys were making this up that they would all look like heroes and power. They don't. They, they come across pretty rough. There's nothing about the New Testament gospel stories or the letters that make these people who are supposedly making all this up look very good. They don't look good at all. Uh, and then let's look at this. Not only was it the original 12 but eventually, it, the, the story tells us that the number of people who experienced the risen Jesus eventually grew way too big to conceivably think you got everyone to agree to a lie. 
because it wasn't just them. Later, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus first appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the 12. But then it says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then notice this. So Paul is writing the letter to 1 Corinthians, we think is written somewhere in the 50s. If Jesus was crucified somewhere in the middle of the 30s, you're now about 15 to 20 years at the most later. And Paul is writing this letter. So if you were 20 years old when you saw Jesus crucified, Corinthians was written when you're probably between 35 and 40 years old. You're still alive. And Paul even points that out. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says, most of whom are still living. Meaning most of the people who claim to see Jesus' life are still living. And then it says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So Paul is saying in the book of Corinthians, He's making a statement that could be refuted. He's writing this letter. Anybody that wants to can go talk to those 100 people that are still alive. This wasn't written 100 years later. It was written while these people were still walking around telling the story to each other. Paul claims 500 people, not just the 12. So if you had the group of 12, just get, okay, let's, hey guys, here's the plan. Let's all, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make it up and say it was a lie and then, you know, forge the whole thing. Okay, but then what do you, how do you then convince 500 more people to do it? How do you convince all of these people to buy into a lie? It doesn't make any sense. Um, these witnesses were still alive. They were going around telling people what they saw. Uh, Paul wouldn't have said this unless he was inviting the Corinthian church to fact check these witnesses. So what, they were all liars? All of these people accepted something that was a lie? And, and just, let me, here's the thing. That's not even taking into account James and Paul, who I find to be the most interesting. James, it tells us, was the brother of Jesus, was a huge skeptic. In much of the gospel stories, he's embarrassed by Jesus. He's like, what are you doing? You need to stop bears of the family. He even confronted him and told him, stop acting like James was not initially a follower. And then he spends the rest of his life as a Christian. Why? James, just to be clear, would have seen Jesus die. So James didn't think that much of Jesus, watches him die, and yet ends up spending the rest of his life as a Christian? Why? How do you explain that? Why would James have lied? And then there's Paul, who's the most interesting. Paul was so convinced that these Christians were lying. He was so convinced that they were heretics spreading false things that he spent a part of his life actually chasing down Christians and hunting them down and killing them. He was trying to stop it. If there was anyone who wanted to put an end to what they thought was a lie, it was Paul. He didn't, he didn't believe the lie. He thought it was all nonsense. And then he claims he met the risen Jesus and it changed his life to the point that he spent every moment until he died proclaiming the risen Christ. He completely did a 180 and went from persecuting the Christians to joining them. Why, if it was a lie? Why? Paul had no reason to buy into a misconception. He had no reason to accept a hallucination right? This was a couple years later. There was no, he had no vested interest in believing any of this. What changed his mind? How do you explain it? How do you explain over 500 people making this 180 shift, seeing Jesus dead, and then claiming to have experienced him alive? Getting a couple people to lie is tough. Getting 500 is impossible. But let me, let me kind of land on this one most important place. What I would say is the most important piece for me personally. The greatest piece of evidence in my mind for the belief of the resurrection and, and the trustworthiness of these people. Think about the moment going back to after Jesus died, the discouragement, the letdown. And you can think to yourself, yeah, 
I could see how that would be so painful and so hard that maybe someone would, would want it to be true and maybe try to force. I guess someone, one or two people might do that, you know, because for them it meant it wasn't real. He, he wasn't who he claimed to be. If you are even a remotely rational thinking human, when you see Jesus's body come off the cross, everything inside of you says, that's it. This wasn't true. <laughs> he wasn't who he said he was. So yeah, it's possible they may have wanted to make up some huge lie to keep it all going. Maybe they would have felt better. Maybe they would save some face. Maybe they would feel a sense of dignity, like, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. How do I go home and tell my mom, oh, you told you not to follow that Jesus. I know, I know. Well, what, what if we steal the body and say he's resurrected? Um, and then maybe we're able to convince 100, 500 other people somehow, including skeptics, to buy into our lie. Okay, just say I accept that premise. Why? And why is so huge. Whenever you see, uh, if you've been in a courtroom or you watch courtroom TVs or courtroom movies, there's lots of them out there. Whenever there's a witness that comes on the stand, one of the things that the opposing lawyer wants to do and the, the defending lawyer also they want to battle about is they want to ask whether the witness is credible. And one of the primary ways you ask whether a witness is credible is motive, agenda. Does this witness have a reason to lie or to say something other? If you can convince the jury that the witness actually might have a motive or a reason to, to, to not tell the truth or whatever, they, they're not a good witness. What would be the ultimate motive for these people to lie about Jesus? And I would say this, what do they have to gain? What would you have had to gain from this lie? And maybe it's possible that a few of them wanted to keep their dignity. Paul? <laughs> Paul? Why would Paul care about it? James? James? No. 500 other people? Like, wh what would they have to gain from this lie? Just days after their failed Messiah is publicly crucified, putting an end to the whole movement, apparently, these guys start abandoning their jobs and racing across the entire planet, telling people Jesus was alive, spent the rest of their lives doing it with no payoff. Now, have you ever heard people say like, oh, you're just doing that because you know, you're gonna get something out of it. What were they gonna get out of it? Power, money, fame, glory, what? No, none of it. None of them got rich. Most of them suffered horribly. Paul would later describe his own life following Jesus as a series of pain and beatings and shipwrecks and near-death experiences and loneliness and prison. Did you know that according to church history, all 12 of the disciples and Paul himself died for their faith? All of them. Uh, some of them horribly, <laughs> like really like difficult, painful deaths. These people were poor and hungry, constantly threatened, beaten. Uh, you know, think about Stephen being stoned to death and, and the way the disciples ran for their lives and hid but kept preaching. Jesus' core message was die to yourself, surrender power, curb your appetites. Don't do the, some of the things you want to do, but instead do hard things that are better for other people. Why lie about that? If you ever hear someone say, oh, the resurrection is just a Christian conspiracy to maintain power, man. Well, look, I understand that later church history, we have to wrestle through that stuff because there came a moment about three centuries later when Christianity and power started to mingle, but not these people. There was no power. There was no gain. There was no benefit for any of this. Most of them were killed for their belief in the resurrection, oftentimes in torturous ways. Church history suggests that Peter, who had denied Jesus before he was even crucified himself, 
like 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 Peter was crucified. Some believe he was upside down for refusing to deny Jesus. Could you imagine? Picture this for yourself. Could you imagine the moment they're about to put you, nail you to a piece of wood upside down until you suffocate to death, a slow, painful agony. And the moment before they drive in a nail, they say, okay, you've got one more chance. This is your moment. If you just say you made it up, <laughs> we won't do this to you. And you're like, nope, go ahead, nail it in. It's true. Why, <laughs> Why would you die for a lie? This doesn't make any sense. Why would you die for this? Why would anyone go through pain and suffering? Why would Paul completely give up persecuting Christians and spend the rest of his life being persecuted himself for Christians? He gained nothing and he lost everything. Look, and yeah, others have died for other religions, right? Other people have died for their religions. But there's a difference between someone dying for a sincerely held belief. There are people today who are willing to die for Islam because they sincerely believe it. But that's different than being there yourself and having seen Jesus dead, right? Like, I'm not talking about people who, like, people who were alive at the time of Muhammad. Those are, that's a different conversation. Like, yes, people could today die for things they sincerely believe. If the disciples made it up, it wasn't a sincerely held belief. Peter wasn't dying for something he actually believed if Jesus wasn't really resurrected. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so, what other explanation is there? If if Peter was willing to die, if Paul was willing to suffer, if John was willing to spend the rest of his life in exile, you know, why? <laughs> James was willing to die for this Jesus that he mocked and didn't believe in and didn't accept for a lie. You know, the most believable, trustworthy people, the best witnesses on any witness stand are the people with nothing to gain and everything to lose. And it's true that some of the initial disciples had a lot to lose, their reputations and things, but they had a lot more to lose by perpetuating a lie, eventually their own lives. And I just, let me just come back to this as I end my time here. What's so interesting about some of the claims against the resurrection, about, well, these people made it up to protect their power, to their whatever, whatever. Let's just talk about, for just one minute, the message of Jesus again the message that they were holding on to along with the resurrection, but, but the message that they would go on spreading, the teachings of Jesus that would dominate their lives were centered around, if you want to be great, become a servant to others. <laughs> the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. This message that they were propagating, that, they were, that, that makes up the New Testament, that they went out and preached to the world, gained them nothing. The whole thing would look very different if they went out preaching a message of give us money. And yes, I know that some Christian preachers have been doing that over the last 2,000 years, and it kind of makes me sick. And it makes some people question it because of that. And I'm really sorry for that. You know, I did a podcast on that topic earlier. But these guys, we're not, we're not talking about modern fakes and charlatans. We're talking about these guys who were there. We're talking about people who watched Jesus die who knew in their minds he's dead, who then spent the rest of their lives suffering for a message and a truth they believed in. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. There, there was nothing to gain by it. And when you look at all this together, that he was dead, that the body's missing, 
and 500 plus people claim to see him and give the rest of their lives, literally give their lives to it. That's overwhelming to me. And Jesus rising from the grave, I think is the best explanation for how these people behaved. Trying to explain their behavior, the best way to do it is it actually happened. Um, it's the only thing that fully explains why this ragtag group of peasants and farmers abandon everything to give their lives away to a crucified Messiah, a failed revolutionary they watched die and be buried because they witnessed him alive and well. They saw that he defeated death and that verified his message. And because of that, they then went out and wrote the stories down. They then went out and wrote these letters to the other. They started churches and wrote them letters telling them what that life looks like. So when you and I pick up our Bibles today, which are I believe are very reliable, accurate reflections of what these guys wrote, and you can listen to the last episode, the bonus episode for more on that, you are reading the words of people who gave their lives for this, who were there, who witnessed it and believed it wholeheartedly. Could they have been deceived? I guess it's possible. If you think all those people collectively could be deceived and give their lives to it, you can believe that. Um, maybe for you, that's more believable than Jesus rising from the dead. And, and I get that. Um, obviously, there comes a moment where, where you can't prove one thing either way, but you just simply have to accept what's more realistic. And I would also end by saying what I said uh, when I gave this message at, at my church this last weekend, and you can hear it on the other podcast. I think the most convincing part of it for me is it's not just like, oh, here's this historical evidence of these people. It's the way that their message still transforms lives today and has transformed my life. And the reason why I do this podcast, and I joked about it, and I didn't I didn't, I didn't joke about it because I was tying it in, but I'll, I'll tie it in. I don't make any money off this podcast. My friend Chris sent me a dollar as a joke. I don't want any money. I'm not asking you to send money. I don't have real sponsors. I don't, I'm not, that's not why I'm doing this. Like I'm not on here because I'm trying to push an agenda that I, about myself. I, I mean, like I don't really care. Um, I do this podcast because the risen Jesus has changed my life because I have experienced him because I've found the message that these men and women first put down on paper and began to spread around the world has affected me 2000 years later in an amazingly positive way. And I would even say this, that the message that is self-sacrifice of love that doesn't appear on the surface to be get, making your life great is actually a message that makes your life better. I actually think they were right. Uh, th th this is worth dying for. It's not about power or money or politics, but it is about finding the life God intended us to create. And that's what this whole podcast is about. The whole idea for me of like stars coming from Philippians that Paul would say, when we start to live this life, we shine like stars in the night sky. We find something better. I believe that the apostles who wrote the New Testament and their followers who helped them write it had found something better in Jesus. And they knew it was true because they witnessed him alive. And they believed wholeheartedly that the life that he was calling them to was better than the life that they were trying to create for themselves. And the resurrection was just the proof of it. But the ultimate outflow of it was seeing the kind of life that God had intended to happen. And that's what you read in the New Testament. So I trust the New Testament, both because I think it's historically reliable, but also because the message I have found to be true. I, I, I'm convinced that Jesus did rise from the dead and that the teachings of Jesus in the early church do change lives and bring about goodness inside of us. It is the wisest thing that we can do is follow Jesus. So I'm on board. 
and I'm going to keep doing podcasts like this and New Testament survey classes and other things because I want to help other people get on board because I think it's a better life. All right. With that, uh, I'll kind of end this one. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. Seriously, just genuine. Thank you. Um, It's cool to know that many of you continue to support. And when I get feedback and comments from people that are listening or watching on YouTube, and it's just, I don't know, I'm not doing it for necessarily that, but it is nice. So if you love, if you'd like to leave a review, a real one, not a fake one, um, we might have some more fake ones coming. We'll see. Uh, um, but, uh, I'd love it. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, you can email me Pete at risecitychurch.com. You can also find me on like stars on Facebook, uh, like stars podcast on Instagram, like stars podcast on YouTube, uh, like stars monopoly is now available at toys R us. Does Toys R Us even exist anymore? I don't think it does. That's sad. I'm going to do a podcast about why I used to love Toys R Us. Uh, But with that, look forward to continuing our conversations together. Be releasing the New Testament survey course soon. So check that out when it comes out here on Like Stars. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. See you later. You're near